0: Be seated. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be back with you. I'm Tim Brown, the Executive Minister of Growing Healthy Churches and also Pastor of Church of Modesto. Uh, hopefully I'm not a stranger to you anymore. I've been here quite a bit over the last few months and sadly this will be the last Sunday that I'll be with you for a while. Uh, you should be happy because that means that your new pastor is right around the corner and he'll be here soon. So... Uh, but I'll, I'll be sure to come back anytime I'm invited, and we'll stay connected with your staff and stuff like that. You've been a very gracious church, um, wonderful staff team, and I'm going to miss you. I really am. But you're, oh, thank you, thank you. Please, uh, please, just keep it coming. You know, <laughs> I'm very insecure, so the more <laughs> love you can show me, the better off. Uh, today I'm going to start a little bit differently than what I normally do. I'm just going to go straight to a passage of scripture. This passage of Scripture kind of confuses me. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, if you want to follow along on the screen, uh, you can do that as well, or a device that you may have. Matthew, chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 28. Here's what we read. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and they urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and she knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Question: Is it just me, or does Jesus seem really rude in this passage of Scripture? Show of hands, even up in the balcony, show of hands. How many of you would say Jesus seems a little rude in this passage of scripture? Show your hands. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You should never question the Lord. Never question the Lord. It does seem like he's being a little rude here. and For me to help understand this passage, I had to go back and remind myself that Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. And when you're in the presence of a great teacher, a great teacher just doesn't want to dispense information there about life transformation. And they'll use different methods to bring about that life transforming that good teaching will help with. A master's teacher's methods are not always understood or known by the pupils or students, in this case, the disciples. And so Jesus would often use methods that would confuse the disciples. One of the methods that he used to teach them was that he would deliberately frustrate his disciples to see how they would respond in a situation, to see if they'd really learned what they were supposed to learn. So there would be a large crowd who needed to be fed, and Jesus says, you feed them. But Jesus, all we have is a little boy's lunch. There'll be another time he sends them out in a boat and a huge storm comes and Jesus is sleeping in the boat, deliberately frustrating them to see how they respond. There's other times where there would be somebody who was demon-possessed and Jesus tells his disciples to heal that person and they can't, him knowing that they probably couldn't. You see, he deliberately often provoked frustration because frustration is a powerful learning tool in the hands of a master teacher. And another thing that Jesus likes to use is a test. He will often test his disciples to see if they are learning what he has been teaching and demonstrating. And to help us understand this passage of, of that we just read, we have to understand it in. Context with, there's a test that Jesus is putting on here. In fact, we're going to discover that there's two tests that are going on simultaneously. There's a test that Jesus is putting the disciples through, and there's a test that he's putting this Gentile Canaanite woman through. He's putting them through a test. And Jesus is giving a test for two sets of people, and sometimes, I'm telling you, tests are not always pleasant. How many of you would agree with that? One of my favorite test uh, stories is about a college student who was, had one class to take for finals and he had to pass this test or he would flunk this biology class. This particular class was the study of birds, orn- ornithology. And he had a very difficult teacher. This teacher was known to have hundreds in uh, his class at a time. But he was also known to be very difficult and it was hard to pass his class. And so this college student studied and crammed for weeks and weeks and weeks for this test. He studied as much as he could about birds. And he came into this huge auditorium ready to take his final exam. Maybe there would be a few multiple choice questions. Maybe there would be some essay questions. He was prepared. But in this classroom, there were 50 pictures that were hanging around the room of 50 different birds that they were to identify by name. The only problem was the teacher only gave pictures of the birds' legs and feet. And so this frustrated the student He looked at the pictures. There's no way he could identify those birds. So he went to the professor and he said, this is a dumb test. I can't pass this test. You're an awful teacher. I'm not taking this test. And the professor says, well, if you don't take the test, you flunk the class. He says, I don't care. I can't pass this test. Flunk me. And the professor says, okay, what's your name? And the kid kicks off his shoes and pulls up his pants and says, you tell me. You tell me what my name is. Sometimes tests are not very fun. And Jesus is going to teach his disciples and this Canaanite woman by testing them. The encounter is both a test for his disciples and this Gentile Canaanite woman. And so what happens, is we set this into context, Jesus is taking his disciples up along the Mediterranean coast, supposedly for some rest and relaxation. I mean, after all, if you're going to get some R&R, you should go to the beach somewhere, right? Well, you all didn't respond. Amen. I I like it. Okay. So I've got a picture here of the map. If you look on this map, you're going to see, if you look, you'll see the region of Tyre and Sidon here. And Jesus has come from the region of Galilee. And so they're traveling up there to Tyre and Sidon. And they're going there for some rest and relaxation. But to understand this passage, we have to understand that the Israelites despised the people of Tyre and Sidon. History tells us that they were bitter enemies. The Jewish people would consider the folks from here, these Gentile folks, the bottom of the spiritual barrel. They were hated. Non-Jewish people. And this person they encounter is a woman. And women were not even supposed to talk to men in public in this culture and not only is she approaching Jesus, but Jesus is a rabbi and she's not supposed to be talking to a rabbi. There were rules about this and rabbis did not talk to women. But in Matthew 15, 22, she comes with the traditional cry of a beggar. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. She comes to Jesus by humbling herself. She uses two titles for Jesus. She says, Lord. And then she calls him Son of David, which means that she knows something about Jesus, and she knows something about Judaism. She is deeply respectful and deeply hopeful because of what she's heard, that this man, Jesus, can help her. But in verse 23, the first part of that, Jesus did not answer a word. He won't even engage with her. This woman's daughter is suffering terribly. So she appeals to Jesus with humility and reverence, respect. And he acts like he doesn't hear her. He responds to her plea for help with silence. Almost as if he's indifferent. Almost as if he's rejecting her. You see, this is going to be the first part of her test. How will this woman respond to Jesus when Jesus seems to be silent to her request? This is part one of her exam. She could walk away at this point. He doesn't care. She has to decide in the face of Jesus' silence. How deeply do I want healing for my daughter? How deeply am I willing to trust this man who is seeming not to hear me? So her test starts. Now we're going to leave her for a minute because simultaneously there's a test going on with the disciples. Jesus is giving them a test. They're not surprised that Jesus is not engaging with this woman. Here in a minute, you're going to see he's not even making eye contact with her. They're not surprised because, as I said before, a rabbi did not talk to women publicly. In fact, there was a rabbinic saying, an ancient saying that said this, and I quote, He that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of the law, and at the last will inherit Gehenna, that is hell. So the disciples are not surprised he's not engaging her. Jesus deliberately ignores this woman and he's watching the disciples to see how they'll respond to that. This is part one of their test. Do they understand, do they really understand Jesus' heart for everybody? Do they understand that? Do they understand that the gospel includes all races, all ethnicities, all cultures? Do they understand that the gospel is for this Gentile woman? A Canaanite who's hated? But look at their response in 23b. They say, send her away for she keeps crying after us. That's kind of grandiose, isn't it? They kept cry- she wasn't crying after them. She was crying after Jesus. They got an inflated sense of worth, don't they? Now the disciples are arrogant here. Jesus, we came for some R&R. We came up here to hear the waves lap against the shore to rest a little bit. And now this woman is bugging us. She shouldn't even be talking to us. Send her away. This is kind of reminiscent of another time in Scripture when there were some little kids that were trying to get to Jesus and the disciples began to rebuke the little kids. And remember what Jesus said? No, no, no. Let them come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven. It's almost as if the disciples are trying to decide the kind of people Jesus should have time for and those that he should not have time for. Now, then we go back to part two of the woman's test. The woman hears the disciples say, Send her away. In verse 24, he answers, Jesus answers, and he's talking to his disciples. He answers, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But in other places, Jesus made it very clear that he was sent for the world. That he came because he was not willing that any should perish, but all would come to know eternal life. So why does he say here? After all, guys, I was just sent to the lost sheep of Israel. It's a test. Maybe you as a parent would understand this illustration about what I mean with a test. Maybe... Maybe you've taught your children that they're to be hard workers and that they're to be people of character and integrity and that they're not to take shortcuts and that they're to work hard. And let's suppose that you have a a kid of yours who has blown off a test and flunked the test and they're going to flunk the class and the teacher gives you a call and says, You know, your son or your daughter, they've performed horribly on this test. They didn't even do the test. They're going to flunk my class. So you go to your son or daughter who you've talked to repeatedly about being a hard worker and being honest and being a person of integrity. And to test your son or daughter, you say, Hey, your teacher called, said you just blew that test off and now you're going to flunk the class. You know, what I think we should do is I think we should make up some story about how I've been really sick lately and you've been having to pick up some the slack here at home and you ha- didn't have time to study and we'll go to the teacher and ask if they will let you take the exam later and just tell them that things haven't been going well at home here now if you say that to your child and you know that it's not true what do you hope your child will respond you would hope they'd say well dad mom that's not what you've taught me you hope they don't say yes let's do that I like that You're testing them. This is what Jesus is doing. He's testing them here. He's testing them, wanting to know, do they care enough for this Gentile woman? Jesus doesn't just simply give his disciples a lecture about negative attitudes. He seems to agree with them. He seems to be saying, of course I'll get rid of her. I was sent only to Israel after all. I was only sent to God's favorites. We have no time for Gentile, female, second-rate riff-raff. Good call, you guys. I'll send her away. But he doesn't. Will any one of the disciples dare to disagree with Jesus? Will any one of them dare to stand up for her and say, wait a minute, Jesus, this is not what you've modeled your entire ministry. This is not what you've been teaching us. I'm confused. Why would you not hear the cries of this mother who is desperate for help for her daughter? Will any of them, any one of them, step up? Would anybody dare to disagree? Now... Simultaneously, this woman's going through her test. She's hearing what Jesus is saying. Jesus is basically saying, you're an outsider. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You're not my mission. My mission is my people. And the question here is, is her concern for her child so deep Her confidence in Jesus' compassion and power so strong that she will persevere in her petition even when Jesus seems unwilling. Will she have endurance and persevere even when Jesus is silent? In verse 25, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. A second time she calls him Lord. The disciples are watching. They believe that this woman should be shunned, rejected, ignored, turned away. This is a cry of a desperate mother for a beloved daughter who is being physically and emotionally and spiritually in agony. Will any one of the disciples stand up for this woman? Not today. because they have deep-seated beliefs and prejudices that are blinding them to the very people that God sent Jesus to come and save. These thoughts and beliefs will get rooted out, but it takes some time with the disciples. But Jesus plants a seed here. This seed would not be fully grown and harvested until Jesus is ascended into heaven after his death and resurrection. And in the book of Acts... Peter, one of the disciples, comes into contact with a Gentile by the name of Cornelius who has received the power of the Holy Spirit in his life and finally the seed has come to be harvested in Peter's life. In Acts chapter 10 verses 34 and 35, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. But the disciples don't get it yet. Not here with this woman. Now, you've got to get this picture. All this time, Jesus is not engaged with this woman. He hasn't even looked at her. She's talking. He's ignoring. He's looking at the disciples. So picture that. So he's still looking at the disciples. He's looking in their faces. And in verse 26, Jesus says this, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, this statement was pretty clear. The children were the Israelites, The dogs were the Gentiles, this woman. Jesus is calling this woman a dog. And when we think about dogs, it's not your cute little puppy that you have at your home, okay? Not in the ancient days. The Israelites hated dogs. They were scavengers. They were garbage eaters. They were treated almost as unclean as pigs. Jesus is forcing the disciples, forcing them, to think about and to expose their thoughts about what they're having about this woman. He's basically saying, You want me to get rid of this woman? You want me to limit my, my ministry to Israel? How can you do that when you watch her, when you listen to her, when you hear her, please? He gives voice to their thoughts and beliefs. Will any of them speak up for this woman? Not today. And it's the end of their test. Guess what grade they got? A big F. And there'll be other tests in the days to come, and they'll do better. They're still learning. Jesus still loves them. But Jesus is giving some of you, and here in this room today and watching online, Jesus is giving you the same test that he gave the disciples that day. Jesus gave the disciples the test of love. There's somebody in your life you're having a hard time offering authentic Christ-like love to. It may be a parent, it may be a child, it may be a spouse, it may be an ex. Maybe it's somebody that you go to school with, maybe somebody you work with. Maybe it's in somebody you've been involved with in a growth group or a small group here at your church. Maybe like the disciples, it's a whole group of people that you just wish that Jesus would smack off the face of the planet It's the love test, and it's given all the time. Pastor, professor, and teacher Tony Campolo wrote in a book one time the following story. He said, some time ago I was invited to be a counselor at a junior high camp, and I don't know how many of you reading this book are Roman Catholics, but that old Roman Catholic theology is right. There is purgatory in its junior high camp. (laughs) That's a place between heaven and hell where people go to suffer for their sins. He said, I've never met meaner kids in my life at this junior high camp. He said, don't get me wrong, I love junior high kids individually, but the gang at this camp was really bad. He said, let me tell you, these kids at this junior high camp really turned mean, and their meanness was focused on an unfortunate kid named Billy. Billy broke my heart because he had been born with a whole host of birth defects. He had cerebral palsy, his brain was unable to exercise proper control over the movements of his body or speech, and the other kids mocked him They called him Spastic Billy. And Billy would walk across the grounds of the camp in his disjointed manner and the others would line up behind him, imitating him and mimicking his every movement. They thought it was funny. It was the worst kind of cruelty that I had ever seen. One day as I watched Billy ask one of the boys a question, which way to the craft shop? The other boy twisted up grotesquely, pointed a dozen different ways and said, that way, I felt like punching out that mean kid. How could he be so cruel? to a boy who suffered physically. The level of meanness reached its lowest point on a Wednesday morning. Billy's cabin had been assigned the morning devotions for the camp of 150 kids, and all the boys in his cabin had voted for Billy to be the speaker. I knew, and they knew, he couldn't do it. They just wanted to get him up so that they could mock him and laugh. They thought it would be fun to watch spastic Billy try to deliver a devotional talk. I was livid. Seething with anger. What was amazing was that the ridicule of these boys did not stop that little guy. He took his place behind the podium and he started to speak. It took Billy almost 10 tortured minutes to say, Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. When he finished, there was dead silence. I looked over my shoulder and there were junior high school boys shaking and trembling and crying all over the place. A revival broke out in that camp and kids turned their lives over to Jesus. A host of junior high school boys committed their lives to Christian service. I wish I had kept count of how many ministers I have met as I've traveled across the country who have told me that they gave their lives to Christ because of the witness of someone like Billy. You know, a test comes for you in your life when it's difficult for you to be around someone. And you have to struggle with this and honestly say, God, will you help me love this person? Will you speak and act with compassion and courage through me towards this person, Lord? God, here's somebody that's difficult for me. Maybe somebody that doesn't know you. Maybe somebody that's far away from you. They've got a lot of stuff in their life and a lot of times they like to vomit it all out of me out on me but God would you help me pass the test of love This is God's will for you friend This is the way of Jesus He's still looking for disciples who will pass the test of love Now, the disciples' test was the test of love. The woman's test was the endurance test. He's testing her endurance. Jesus gave the Canaanite woman the endurance test. And Jesus is giving some of you today the endurance test. Jesus, here in this passage of Scripture, He uses what seems to be pretty harsh language about dogs to force the disciples to face themselves and what they're really thinking, to give voice to what they've been thinking and feeling privately, to confront what they're really believing. Jesus tests this Canaanite woman's endurance. Will she stick with him when he doesn't seem to care? When he's silent. Even when he's using some language that's kind of harsh. Now, what's interesting is in the original Greek New Testament, in the Greek language, the word that Jesus uses for dog is not the typical word that would be used. Uh, It was a a term that, that really meant a small dog or a teeny tiny puppy. So not the big scavenger dog. So he softens the language a little bit for the woman, but he's still calling her a dog. But it's not a big dog. You know the difference between a big dog and a little dog, right? So a guy walks into a coffee shop. He's a small guy, small stature. He's carrying under his arm his little toy poodle. The owner of the coffee shop says, dogs can't come in, you're going to have to leash your dog up outside and so he leashes his little toy poodle up outside a couple minutes later in comes this big huge bodybuilder I mean muscles bulging everywhere he hardly has any neck he is striking and handsome I mean he is buff Um, you get the picture he is big And uh, so he he comes in and he says to the guy that had come in before him, he said, hey, is that your little dog out there? He said, yeah, that's my dog. He said, well, I have my German police dog outside, so you may want to go get your dog because my German police dog will kill your dog. And so the man goes outside. A couple of seconds later, he comes back in and he says to the big bodybuilder guy in his little squeaky voice, he says, my dog killed your dog. And the bodybuilder guy said, how? Well, your dog choked on my dog. It's getting deep in here this morning. That's the difference between a big dog and a little dog. Jesus uses the word for a puppy, not a scavenger dog. And this will be the hardest test for her. Will she run away? Will she decide this is just not worth the effort? He doesn't seem to care. Is she going to insult him in return? Or is her love for her daughter so intense, her trust in Jesus' power to heal so deep, her faith in Jesus' compassion so strong, and her commitment in Jesus as Lord and Master so unwavering that she won't give up in spite of the fact he seems silent? Go back to verse 26 and we'll pick up what she says in 27. Jesus says, It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, and for the third time she calls him Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She picks up on his little term for a little doggy, little puppy, because in the original language of the Greek, she used the same type of term for the crumbs. So it's it's in essence what she's saying is, yes, Lord, but even the little bitty doggies get to eat some of the teeny-weeny crumbs from the master's table. There's an element of playfulness here, a little bit of sarcasm with her, grit and grace and wit. She's saying, all right, Lord, you go feed your kids, but I'll bet, I'll bet that you even have a little crumb for somebody like me. She won't give up. This is what's called the endurance test. The disciples face the love test. She's facing the endurance test. And some of you are facing that test today. Something is going on in your life and it's difficult. You don't know when or if you'll find relief. You pray, you kneel, you beg. And it's just like sometimes God doesn't respond. And you're going, what in the world is going on here? Have any of you ever felt that way? Are you all okay this morning? I'm going to show you a picture of some friends of mine. Um, this is the Lusk family. Um, They're in West Virginia in the little town where I grew up. This is Fairly, Donna, and their son Eric who's sitting in the middle. Eric was 10 years younger, 11 years younger than me. They wanted a child for so long and prayed for a child I remember our church praying for them. She had a difficult pregnancy. And Eric was born with a very severe case of spina bifida. But you talk about a kid growing up that had a great attitude. We watched him as he struggled to walk on braces and then he had to be moved to a wheelchair. How he excelled academically in school and everybody loved to be around Eric. He was a good friend. I remember him saying, Tim, I feel called into ministry. His family's very musical, so he developed a group with his mom and dad called the Eric Lust Singers, and they would got him a big director's chair, and they would sit him up on the director's chair, and they would bless people in our little community with southern gospel music. And then he said, I feel like God is calling me to preach. And he would send me questions that he was facing in seminary classes, and he said, Tim, I'm getting licensed to preach, and now I'm being ordained to preach. And he would send me, say, hey, do you have a sermon on this that maybe I could borrow your notes for or something? And about two months ago, Eric passed away. A bright light in our community. One week later, his mom had a severe stroke. She's still recovering at home. Why does something like that happen? There's so much I don't know. But I do know this that there is a choice that every human being has to face at some point in their life, and that's the choice between hope and despair. And Jesus says, Choose hope. Choose hope. I know my father well, and there's a good reason for choosing hope. Some of you are facing the endurance test today. And the question is this, will you keep going even when you don't know why, even if you don't know how, will you keep going even when you're not getting relief? Will you keep going with all the grace and grit and faith you can muster and the hope that one day, if not in this life, that one day you will be relieved and that you trust that the Lord is good. You see, I believe that God prizes greatness in the human spirit that will not give up. I believe that God values the greatness of the soul of people who will endure, who will wrestle, who will persevere, who will refuse to quit, who will cling to the goodness of God when there's not much reason for doing so. The disciples who didn't do too well on their test are watching this encounter, probably with open mouths. They've probably never seen somebody with such confidence before Jesus and such risk-taking before Jesus, such boldness before Jesus to keep asking when he's not answering or listening. When this woman approached, they thought that they were watching their spiritual inferior, the spiritual bottom of the barrel. It turns out that she's relating to Jesus on a whole different level of understanding of humility, reverence, trust, and boldness that puts the disciples to shame. Finally, Jesus faces this woman. Now the mask comes off, the test is over, and it's time for the grade to be given out. Verse 28 Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed at that moment. It was all a test. What a spirit is in you. You've wrestled with God and you prevailed. You kept on seeking. You kept on knocking. You kept on searching when it seemed like I was being silent. It was a test. In the original language in the New Testament, there is a letter that's actually missing that we don't get in our English translations. It could be transliterated just the letter O. So really what Jesus does is he says, O woman, Maybe you've experienced that kind of, oh, when somebody does something or says something that is so meaningful and powerful, you just go, oh, oh, woman, oh, woman. Mega is your faith. That's the Greek word that's used there. Mega is your faith. She would not let go. The grade came in, and she clasped past with flying colors you know what Jesus would often say of the disciples he said of the woman oh you of mega faith you know what he'd often say of the disciples oh you of little faith but he would not give up on them and he will not give up on you so how are you doing with the love test How are you doing with the endurance test? Maybe hear the words of our Savior say, Oh, woman, oh, man, oh, young person, you have mega faith. Let's stand together for closing prayer. In a room this large with this many people, I know that there are many in this room who today would acknowledge, Father, that they have been failing the love test. Would you help all of us in this room to recognize when that is being tested? And would you give us the courage and the boldness to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and love others as he has loved us. In a room this size with this many people in it and the people watching online, there are many who are going through the endurance test. It could be because of a physical ailment, a relational issue, a job-related issue. It could be sickness. It could be any number of things. But they're wondering, God, I'm praying, but you don't seem to be answering. Help them to endure. Help them to wrestle. Help them to continue to seek and ask and knock. Help us all to live for those words. Oh, God. You of great faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a fabulous day. It's good to see you again. Love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.